0: Here we go!
1: Neutron proton mass defect, lyrical oxidation, your irrelevant mass spectrograph, your electron volt, atomic energy erupting as I get all open on betatrons, gamma rays, thermal cracking, cyclotron, any e and every mic you're on, your uranium, if you're always uranium, molecules spontaneous combustion, pow! Law of death, net proportion gain, ink anyway, weight, I'm every element around. Welcome to Spark Science, where we explore stories of human curiosity. I'm Jordan Baker. Improv specialist is my field. I also cut meat. Uh, you
0: study meat and you study improv well, yeah, I comedy. I study
1: meat because it's fun it, right. to study. You're animals. an
0: experimentalist. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, in the kitchen. And I'm here with uh, my co-host, Regina Barber de Yeah,
0: that's who was talking. Yeah. I, I'm Regina Barber de Graff. I teach physics and astronomy at Western Washington University. And we're here today with author, kayak builder, George Dyson. Welcome. Welcome to our Thank show. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Your current book... Uh, you're like, no. No. <laughs> my,
2: my current book is not written and it's a year overdue. Okay. So it's a depressing okay. thought. <laughs> <laughs> so you should probably get on that.
0: Well... <laughs> You're taking time to talk to us. So actually, we're very thankful I'm procrastinating.
1: That's okay. I (laughs) procrastinate all the time. Maybe we're his inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We're
0: going to be a footnote.
1: Yeah. 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 That would
0: be really nice. Special thanks. The last book that you were promoting is Turin's castle, uh, Cathedral. Cathedral. I was going to say Castle. That's okay. That's right. No. I was just watching Howl's Moving Castle. This is your fourth book? Turin's Cathedral was your fourth book?
2: Yes, it was my fourth Okay. Book. They're like increasingly more difficult and painful, which is the opposite of everything else in life. So it sort of gets easier.
0: Really? Yes. Oh. I, I mean, I, I'm glad that we can help with the procrastination.
2: Well,
1: oh, I'm always a proponent of uh, procrastination. Yeah.
0: Your house gets cleaner and cleaner. Yes. Right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You do all the little things. Right. With me, I just spend more and more time with my daughter. I'm yeah. like, you know, I want to be that good parent, but it's really just I don't want to finish that paper. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> because you're a science, scientific historian, we, I wanted to talk about Alan Turing because I think this is somebody in history that a lot of people are getting more and more interested in with the movie, the imitation game. So I'm going to actually show you. I I got your book off of Amazon. Yeah. And on it, there's a sticker. And I want to take a picture of this. for our. That's
2: I have not seen that. That's that's outrageous. Yeah. So I wanted to (laughs) show you that
0: maybe I'm actually glad that I showed you on air. That's horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I didn't show you this beforehand. So I'm going to take a picture for our listeners because on the t- front of Mr. Dyson's book, it says, read about the computer revolution. And then it says, then see the movie.
2: Oh, that's terrible. And, it, I, and then nobody asked me about that. I mean, that's that's illegal. I mean, that's wrong. Yeah.
0: So it's, you should. I, yeah. Maybe, maybe you know, I will be. You foot, look no. into that. I mean, yeah.
2: my. My term for it is the irritation game. The (laughs) irritation game. Well,
0: it it was not a good movie.
2: No, it was a bad movie and and we all knew the history would be wrong. I mean, all all us. But anyway, (laughs) so the movie was excusable that the history was wrong. That's okay. But the characterization was completely wrong. Alan Turing was not this loner at all. He, He had large numbers of friends he he had a tremendous sense of humor he was very social yeah and they immediately they just took this pigeonhole off the hollywood shelf he he was going to be an asocial lone and it it was a tremendous insult to computer programmers everywhere who don't don't have to be like that to be a good programmer
0: i am so happy that you said that because we actually had a show on computer science and we we talked about this misperception of this stereotype, and that's what we try to do on this show is to bring all these scientists on and try to show that, that we're not like that.
2: Right, we're not that like <laughs> that at all. It's completely completely... So that was that was an enormous yeah. sad mistake. That they, yeah. And Benedict, the actor, was so good. He could have played yeah. whatever role they gave him. If they gave him the guy with a sense of humor, he would have had a sense of humor, but they gave him... you got to play this guy with no sense of humor. Yeah. And that, by the way, is, is how Britain won the war. I mean, the, the, you know, Britain was this right. island country being suffocated to death by the German U-boat fleet. And, and what won the war wasn't the Enigma decryptions or radar or the Americans coming with atomic bombs. It was the British sense of humor. That's how they survived that war. Because the British, no matter how bad things were, and I can say this because my father was British, they, <laughs> they they had a sense of humor about it. Oh, we've, we've been bombed 14 times a day. Well, you know, let's go out and work in the garden. I mean, they didn't...
0: You know, I, I never even thought of that. And
2: that's, the movie left that out. You yeah. guys were all going around being serious and hating each other and not talking. And
0: You're right. There were no jokes in no, that entire right. movie. That's why I, I hated it. I
2: <laughs> actually, I think I
1: was able <clears throat> to relate more to him just because that's sort of my personality, where his like cold jokes were, for me, hilarious. And mm-hmm. a lot of people just didn't find it funny. I thought it was hilarious. You
0: mean when they we're, did try jokes? In the no, movie. no, no,
1: no. It we weren't even jokes. He was just like straight, he was the straight man of straight men. Yeah. Like, right. He would just say these cold things. Just right. Just like, oh, I don't understand emotional cues, and he would say stuff, and I thought it was hilarious.
2: Right, but from, like, right. a but scientist. But played it like it was serious.
0: Right. You're right. A sprinkling of that is okay, but, like, yeah. um, as a scientist, you're kind of, you don't want to be seen as that total stereotype, yeah. which a lot of us do have these tendencies, these fidgety tendencies and these social awkwardness, but... We're not all that, right? We, we're more than that. So, and I agree, the character wasn't very well developed right. in the movie. But we'll get back to that. Yeah. I want to get back to that because we're gonna we're gonna bookend that yes. with the, with our show. But let's talk very beginning. Let's talk about Alan Turing, his upbringing. Let's also talk about maybe just academia in general because I think that it all kind of flows into that in his later life. So, let's talk about Alan Turing's growing up because you saying that he wasn't a loner. So let's talk about no, he yeah. Was,
2: and he he didn't grow up really in an academic world he grew up his father was a civil servant living in india so he grew up oh that's right sort of left alone in england while the parents were away and he was pushed into academia simply because of his genius i mean yeah. he was a math genius this, this happens to certain children just just have it and certain kids don't and, yeah and he did so he got into that world and did did very well in it, and, and of course the war came along and he had a, a role to play, but he wasn't yeah. sort of bred in the academic world, nor did he particularly stay in it. I mean, he, yeah. he was interested in building machines and you know breaking codes and things like that that were not particularly academic. It just happened that during the war, the that people needed. needed to solve that problem tended to come out of the academic world. But, yeah. but he was quite comfortable outside of the academic world, and that that in, in some ways led to his downfall, right. in, in the sense of having the you know love affairs with with non academic people, because at that time, right, homosexuality was very strong in the academic world. I mean, there were whole colleges of Cambridge that that were primarily homosexual, and, and, and really, it was, like I mean, whole it, which colleges. Which again, the, the the movie completely got wrong. Which yeah, that that homosexuality was this illegal thing. I mean, it was technically illegal, but right. it was. As it still is today, was was a very much a part of British upper class government and schooling and, and right. the, the British system. You just weren't supposed to go out of, outside of that system, and that right. was that was Alan Turing's sort of downfall was right. that he had a relationship with a working class homosexual that went right. went bad, and that's that's how he got into trouble. But it wasn't because it was, it was outside of the social norms.
1: You're listening to Spark Science, and we're talking about the life of volunteering today with George Dyson.
0: You were talking about child prodigies, though, and growing up, you lived in this kind of academic world. Did you know other child prodigies or any, anybody? Because Jordan and I did not know <laughs> any
1: child prodigies. I know, I know lots of them now, Do but you? growing up, I didn't.
0: I kind of want to know about that. How does one... Live after that.
2: It's a blessing and it's a curse. Right. And, and you know, in my case, you know, I happened to be born into a world where, where my, my father was a definite prodigy of that kind. Who, at the age of five or six, he was clearly doing original mathematical work.
0: Right. And family. for our viewer or listeners and that don't know who your father is,
2: Freeman Dyson, who's right. known as all these other things, but at, at heart, is just simply a mathematician. He right. Just, he just had a infatuation with numbers as a child that never went away. And that's really sort of my, if I try to ever say what is the mark of genius, it's that the, these geniuses are like, they they behave like adults when they're very young children. Yeah. And then they behave like children when they're adults. I mean, my dad is now 92, and he looks <coughs> at everything as if he's a six-year-old child. And, and Alan Turing was the same way. I mean, t- of course, he died at 41, but he's right. still looked at everything with the curiosity of a child no matter what it was yeah. and that is rare and unpredictable and yeah it, no one knows where it comes from and I've only seen it a few times
0: I was thinking about that that they act like adults when they're children and they act like children when they're adults do you think at least for me because now that I'm I teach at Western I feel like the world of academia maybe allows you to be a child. You know yes. what I mean? Like Be curious. Right. You can be curious. You can be eccentric. You can uh, chase things that you're interested in without any worrying too much about money. You're given this freedom, right? You live in this world where you're sheltered and away from the outside world, but you're also given this freedom inside that little bubble. Like you were talking about, like Alan Turing. If he would have just stayed in that bubble, he would have been okay, right? But he didn't. So you have a confined freedom, which is really, I don't know. I never thought about that until you just said that.
2: Yes. Yeah. And it was true of, of course, everyone always talks about <laughs> my father, but it was true of my mother, too. Who, right. Who I was reading about was a your mother. <laughs> who lives in the Leopold here, right, like literally right down the street. Oh, I mean, they, really? they, In fact, they play <laughs> KMRE over the intercom at the oh? Leopold.
0: But, oh, really? Maybe she but, has heard our, our show.
2: But, yeah. So hey, they, Mrs. Dyson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she was a- Dr. Dyson. Or was Sorry. and is a- <laughs> group theorists, which is another very strange branch of mathematics. Yeah, that, it's that like the
0: mathematics I don't understand.
2: What Alan Turing was interested in, which was, you know, the foundations of logic, which seemed to be the last thing that would have any real value to the real world, turned out to be incredibly important. And it, and it was oddly the same with group theory. It seemed that this very abstract yeah. kind of math that nobody would ever do anything with, turned to be the key to sort of understanding physics. And So you never know. It always comes from this odd left field.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's so much that I don't understand in that world, but I do understand that there. We were we just had mathematician on Amitesh. I mean, Amitesh, yes, yeah, who's, he's who's, who's great.
2: The, one the, yeah, one of the only Doctor Sarkar. Yeah, he's we have a, his his PhD advisor, close friend of my mother's, who's the only, one of the only oh. people who ever would would introduce me as you know the son of my mother rather than the son of my father. Oh really? Uh, Baila Bulabash. Wow. He's a great combinatorist.
0: On that show we were talking about these connections that 2 degrees until you find somebody that we all know. But and then he was talking about also science is so great because you can you can study these things that are abstract that you don't think have any application and then some, one day they will turn up to right. like prime numbers we were talking about cryptography. Yeah. So We can talk about cryptography. So Alan Turing, he's, you know, in school and I think the movie that we've talked about isn't very good, but they've talked about he had this best friend, so he was fairly social in a way, but then he gets to college. So what is his life like when he's at Cambridge?
2: Well, at at Cambridge, again, he's he's very close with a lot of people. He lived very close there. He was a runner, a long distance runner. So he was on the running team.
0: You can't really be on a team without being somewhat close to taking.
2: For instance, I mean, the other thing that's completely forgotten is he came to America for two years, for most of really? two years. Yes, yes, hmm. before the war, and I mean, in America, he w- he was on the Princeton rugby team. <laughs> they and they went. I mean, they went. What a played. loner! Yeah, so <laughs> you don't you don't go on the rugby team if you're not somewhat social, right? You know, so I mean, Cambridge he had a very he was part of again a very a very strong but somewhat underground gay culture but it was you know and he wasn't happy in america why did he, he go to america? He came to america because he had solved this enormous problem in logic i mean sort of the biggest one of the biggest problems there was and it happened by strange coincidence that that someone else had more or less solved it in a similar way alonzo church who was at princeton okay and nobody at cambridge was of the level that I mean, suddenly Alan Turing was above the level of all his professors. He had done something that, that they couldn't, and and everybody knew he had to, you know, the, the right thing for him to do was to go to America.
0: And was he in grad school then, or was he no, an undergrad? No, he was an undergrad. Wow. So he
2: came to America as a 24-year-old as a wow. undergrad to work with Alonzo Church and get his Ph.D. And at that time, you didn't, the you know, British didn't really subscribe to the whole Ph.D. thing. So they sort of sent him to America because to, to, it was the right thing to do.
0: Really, I, I don't know about this history. So, <laughs> when did getting your PhD become the thing to do? Then,
2: when sort of Americans made it into an industry, but I mean before that, <laughs> and well, the Germans, it was Germans really originated. I blame it. But the, the English, Germans. the English sort of didn't subscribe to it because it was very German. So, so, in England, you could do quite well without a PhD. Wow. And then,
0: well, be, because their education system there, it's like an undergrad, and then it kind of continues. So it's kind of like a.
2: Right. A you, Masters, you would,
0: bachelors, right?
2: You would start teaching or doing something or right. go invent something, but you didn't have to have a PhD. Wow! And, and my father never had a PhD, and, and uh, so Turing comes to America and gets his PhD yeah. for this in two bril- years. Yeah, brilliant thesis that <laughs> that is still ignored, but I mean, it was it was just as important as his work that we all remember him for, and his huh. thesis that he did in Princeton. He was looking at at non-deterministic computation, what you could do with with computation, where uh, you know he was he was, was fascinating with intuition, with what happens, how can people sort of think non-logical things that make sense. And, yeah, that is that fascinating. So that his 1938 thesis written in America is, you know, is just as interesting as the work that he's remembered for, but it's less remembered.
0: Now I have to go look it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're gonna take a break real quick, and then when we come back, I want to talk more about then what happened after this this two year Princeton PhD. yeah. Yeah. If you're just joining us, this is Spark Science. I'm Regina Barber-DeGraff.
1: And I'm Jordan Baker. Today we're joined by George Dyson, author of Turing's Cathedral.
0: During the break, I was mentioning to you that I, as a physicist, didn't know who your dad was because I'm not very well versed in science history.
2: But you watch Star Trek, right?
0: I see. <laughs> you are absolutely right. Is that my friend pointed out who your dad was, yeah. and then I said, "Oh my God, Dyson spheres!" Yeah. Right? And he's like, "He's done so much more work than that," and I can't believe that's the only thing you know. And I'm like, "I am sorry."
2: Yeah,
1: I, I've never heard of your dad either. Yeah. So. It's fine. yeah.
0: But you're Sorry. not a physicist and so no, you don't have other physicists making fun of you about it. So yeah. I did want to talk a little bit of, I want to go back to academia because I find you fascinating because <laughs> I, I find the idea of being around that world, being around other physicists and having physicists or mathematician parents and like being at these Ivy League colleges while you're a kid, totally different from where I grew up. I'm in academia now at Western. And you kind of went the other way because yeah, you... Yeah, I wanted
2: to get as far away from it as possible. Right. And
0: so I kind of want to know about that because so I, I know it's kind of selfish of me, but that's what I want to know about.
2: So, yeah, <laughs> so I had no... I mean, I was interested and my father was wonderful and my mother was wonderful and, and they shared their world with me, but I wanted to get away from it. It's just the way kids are. Right. So I did. I left and dropped out of high school at 16 and moved first to California and then to Vancouver, British Columbia, where my sister... A much older sister who got married there and i came to her wedding and then at the like the day after the wedding i saw an ad for a job on a boat i was just turned 17. that's
0: so awesome and i
2: <laughs> took the job and never looked back i mean, it became you know i worked on boats for years commercial boats and became a boat builder that was my world i decided to yeah you know, I became very fascinated by kayaks for some reason, just the same way it's <laughs> yeah. that childhood thing. Just At yeah. a, a very young age, I became fascinated with boats. And I had access to all my father's letters that he wrote home and when I was doing the Project Orion research. And I had a student here at Western who transcribed 300,000 words of these letters. And in those letters, there's this one letter where they take me out in a boat for the first time we go out in a rowboat. How old are you? i'm like five and my sister is six my older sister esther everybody thinks it must be so, must have been so hard to be freeman dyson's son yeah. and live under that shadow and that was nothing compared to being esther's little brother
0: really because yeah. she
2: was the perfect student and so everywhere i went i was a disappointment you know i never lived but she was only one year older than you a year and a half which is oh, okay. just, just the <laughs> so anyway in this letter my father yeah. is telling his mother you know they took us out in this boat yeah and then at dinner we always had a conversation at dinner. It was a very formal kind of existence. And I, and yeah. I said, well, I finally figured it out. You know, I was trying to figure out how does a boat move. And I said, well, when you when you pull the oars, it makes a hole in the water, and the boat falls into it and moves forward. And that was my, you know, cause I was obsessed. It's
0: very, I mean, that's yeah, pretty, pretty deep for a yeah. five-year-old. I mean, yeah, So, yeah. Right.
2: but then my sister, you know what she says? This is in the letter. My dad, like, you know, this is like... <laughs> She says, Daddy, what's so great about that? I can make the boat move forward without understanding it. And oh yeah. So that was the well, r- rivalry between
0: th- You're more <laughs> of a scientific approach. Exactly. I mean as yes. as a parent. So I mean I don't want to pick sides, but I would have liked your that's, you know that's, comments. That's
2: the way now like, well, Esther she can say something and Wall Street goes up or down, you know. Right. Whereas I just try and understand it. I'm not trying to Right. Yeah. And so. that's a scientist yep. in
0: you. And you right. have something in common with Jordan now. Yeah, <laughs> that, you know, he he also dropped out of school. Dropped out of school. Yeah, moved to California. Do you have an older sister? And then he I, has an older brother. Older
2: brother. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's the same. No, it's thing. Pretty close. I
0: do like this discussion about you know that you're trying to get away from this academic because I was trying to get in. Like I yeah, was, exactly, you know, yeah. I was just like I had parents that didn't go to college. I was in Linden, which it was not a very academic. Wait, what would you say, Jordan? We weren't very academic centric in linden
1: no definitely more sports oriented
0: yeah. <laughs> right and i was just like okay I, got, I can do this i don't know what physics is but i'm gonna do it yeah. you know but this idea of being a professor and talking to other professors you almost get this feeling even if it's not true that every other professor had professor parents or had educated parents and it's just this cycle that like professors I mean, make professors may, and m-
2: maybe in the guild of professors but in the world of science the, yeah the contributions the great contributions. Tend to come from people outside, yeah, who who come into it fresh. You know, the Einsteins and stuff didn't have professors as parents. They yeah, they they came in and saw something new and different. So I think this this sort of idea that it's a hereditary, which is probably like Italy. I mean, Italy, it's, it's this hereditary system of professorships. So really? Yes. It's, oh,
0: I didn't it's, know that. It's,
2: it's uh, uh you be careful.
0: We we but, actually have an Italian listener, and I think right. his name is Michaela. Yeah. But
2: my <laughs> mother was born in Italy, oh, but not, okay, good. not to an academic family.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, right. it, like I said, it's probably not true, but it's this weird perception of the public thinking that like this is what a professor is and this is what pro- what professor babies will look like and their babies yeah. and it, and and i thought that growing up so i thought it was near impossible but i was going to do it you know but well um, it's
2: changed and opened up which is good yeah. it's a very very good way
0: i think so and it's very reassuring that you said that a lot of great things in science come from people outside because when people see einstein i think maybe people would just assume his parents were very you know
2: very no, well educated no he was working at the patent office right and then when he left the patent he office it money. all kind of ended <laughs> money, yeah which is the what's totally I mean, again not to be specific but i mean these institutions that think they're going to produce great science by making a very comfortable place it, it doesn't work
1: i think it's very encouraging for like me and you know having you drop out and i dropped out of high school and uh you know and just knowing that a lot of the great ones uh, aren't born into that, so I don't have to like worry about my future right. child yes. <laughs> just going even worse than I did.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I worry about that too, and I was always very jealous in college of where I'd hear like, you know, people's parents and they'd be like, You know, when you went to science camp when you were six and I was like, Oh, you know, I wish I had that. But it's uh but then I realized that my kid is that kid. <laughs> my kid is
2: I mean, the one I was jealous where, of. Where it makes a difference. Yeah is high school yeah high school I mean if you look at American Nobel Prizes in physics it is frightening how many of those kids went to the Bronx high school of science and and if you look at World War II science it's frightening how many you know how many of the great scientists went to one high school in Budapest I mean there's something about about high schools have a really great influence yeah But but the younger stuff and the older stuff is not so important but high school is terribly important
0: well I went to running start
2: yeah. So that helps. I, 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 I
0: feel there's a lot of um, people that are very much against running start because they feel like it's, you know, you should be. I don't know. There's a money issue and then there's also a preparation issue and an advising right, issue. Right.
2: But it gave you that. It did. It gave you that push when you needed it.
0: It gave mm-hmm. me that false confidence yeah. so, <laughs> that I needed.
1: A
2: drunk-up country boy who never knew.
0: If you're just joining us, this is Spark Science. I'm Regina Barber-DeGraff.
1: And I'm Jordan Baker. Today, we're talking about mathematician Alan Turing with George Dyson.
0: Let's get back to Alan Turing. So he's done with his PhD in Princeton. He comes back to the UK. (laughs) Right. The war war is just
2: starting. He comes back in 1939.
0: But he he starts to teach, doesn't he? Uh,
2: barely. I mean, he barely. gets pulled into Blesley Park really, really quickly. Okay. Uh, which was the code breaking right scene, which is not as secret again as the movie plays it up to be. I mean, it was known what was happening there.
0: Right. Um, well, how well was it known though? I mean, known by other by other people in the government or known by people, known like by
2: certainly known by people in academia and oh, yeah. and the government and even to the public. I mean, this this was you know, a facility that was dealing with uh, with codes and code breaking, but it was not what was kept secret was how they did it.
0: Okay. But the recruiting recruiting wasn't I can't even recruiting was pretty open. Right, because they had to recruit. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, okay. the, I was going to ask. I f- totally forgot that part of the movie was. Did he? He was so he was recruited. Not he didn't like get drafted or just. No, he was. Him. I
2: mean, most people. My dad was recruited and didn't and said no. I mean, he didn't. Wow. He thought he wanted to be closer to the war. Not he thought it was like it was a desk job, and so mm. he he went to work for the Royal Air Force. So had bomber command. And wow. The, but the coding was, you know, not interesting enough. Not as sexy. Yeah. Right. Wow, if you can call it that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, they made a movie about the it. So they that's did. Pretty
0: sexy. I did. He's there. It's not a secret as the movie seems. It Him was
2: full of women. It was
0: right. The, all the, all the com- computers. Half, most right? of them were women. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: I, I gave a talk in Victoria a couple when the book came out. Right. Victoria, B.C. And then after a the, the long line of people, and, and the last person in line was this very lively elderly woman who jumped up on stage and you know signed the book and she said we we all loved alan so much we were so sad when he left hut eight wow and she was one of the girls in in hut eight wow. and, and you know and that was that was alan all the girls liked him because he you know i mean it was partly again because he wasn't right. trying to hit on them and he was right he was just charming and you know, Uh, very sociable friendly guy
0: so so i can totally understand your your frustration with this character because he just wasn't at all even talking to those women right i mean there were like the what the five other women on tv or sorry in the movie but uh yeah he wasn't even connecting with them at all so he goes in there he makes this machine right to compute (laughs) Um, at
2: Bluesteel Park. At well, Park, now that yeah. part was wrong too. I mean, yeah. he, he was not that involved with was t- it. Was it was other people who built the machine? In a certain sense, okay. The later work was based on Alan's ideas, but okay. the the bomb, the machine that's in the film was was not a computer at all, and nobody ever thought of it as a computer. It was purely a, a sort of reverse engineering of the enigma, running a bunch of enigmas backwards to to try and a very obvious thing to do. I mean, the Polish and it was brought from poland the poland had already done this because okay. they were in the war long before england and those people still get very really little credit the polish mathematicians who actually broke enigma the first time
0: oh wow yeah. i well i knew that there was some inaccuracies with that yeah, but yeah. i didn't know it was that but bad so <laughs> the there's
2: a later <laughs> machine called colossus which really was a computer it was definitely the first electronic computer that really worked and did powerful stuff and and Alan Turing was on the periphery of that, okay. um, and he was fascinated by it, and it's still an enormous loss to history that, that that was kept secret. It was one of the, I think, the tragic mistakes. that The, the British had their own reasons for keeping it secret, but okay. they well, destroyed all the machines after the war.
0: Oh, okay. And,
2: and you can look at it in one way that, well... The Cold War had already started and they were capable of breaking all these codes and that even the Americans were involved and didn't want, you know, everything depended on us being able to break these codes and not letting the world know that we could break them. And you can take a very sinister view that that may have had something to do with Alan Turing's death, that he was, he knew too much about this. Yeah. And on a... Another level you can say simply that the, you know, the British military establishment wanted to the world to believe that Britain had won the war by, you know, by the valiant efforts of the Royal Air Force and so on, not right. by breaking the codes. And, and that, that there was a number of reasons to keep this very secret. And it was, and it was kept amazing in the modern world that nothing would have been kept secret that long. It was really it was the 1970s before even the existence of the Colossus machines was was known to the public
0: it's like 30 years less than that a long right? time yeah, yeah. keep 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 the idea of
2: a computer. and, and, I and all the US people has
0: kept secrets longer than
2: that right yeah we don't know <laughs> yeah, we yeah. don't
1: know i thought that was interesting uh in the movie where he finally cracks the code and then he my first reaction was you know, the character in the movie's first reaction is just let everybody know mm-hmm. and there was like a strategic way of yeah. using it against them
0: that was you know um i think that could have been played even more, I I guess. I mean, just uh, I talked to Amitesh, again, the mathematician that we're talking about, Dr. Sarkar, and I told him that I just finished reading *Kryptonomicon*, which took me forever to read. And I really liked it, but it took me a long time. (laughs) But he, I mean, that whole book is about that. Right. Yes. The entire book is about this strate- strategic way you can use this this information to make it seem like you do not know the information. And it
2: was a moving target. The German I mean the Germans knew their codes were being cracked and they kept upping the Right. by a huge factor making the codes more, you know, complicated.
0: Right. And, yeah. So mm-hmm. Alan Turing wasn't the one cur- like that made the this device that r- reverse engineered the code. What was he doing exactly then at he was Lexley
2: doing very profound sort of statistical, still unbelievably clever ways of basically narrowing the number of alternatives. You're looking, you know, there's an astronomical number of alternatives that could be the key. Okay. And he and his colleagues, people like Jack Good that he worked with, invented amazingly ingenious ways of sort of narrowing that search space down to narrow in on what, and with this...
0: With these like key words is what you're key,
2: talking about? No, the key to the code, I mean, okay. every code right. had a key. Okay. And you, but how do you find it, and how do you find it within 24 hours before the Germans changed the key? They changed the key every day. Right. And so what they did was was real work of human intellect of sort of finding the, weaks, the weak points in cracking these things, not Assisted by brute force. The machines gave them sort of an right. edge of brute force but it would never, the brute force alone would never have been able to do it without these very ingenious and the human stuff of figuring, you know, which was in the film that the Germans would start the messages the same way. Right. And, and it turned out, you know, some of the weather ships were p- putting weather broadcasts using the same keys so that gave them an edge where all these things together was a, a tremendous amount of teamwork that, that would not have worked if the, if they had adopted sort of the American way of, you know, like the CIA is not going to tell the FBI what the FBI, you know, and then, then suddenly your intelligence collapses. They were very right. it was war, and they were very very much sharing there.
0: So in the movie that was the opposite of what you're saying, right? In the movie, it was very secretive. Like, you know, that the one guy played by Mark Strong, right, was didn't talk to the other man who I don't know. Right. Who he they, was. they sort of put <laughs> that. Yeah,
2: you know when enough of your houses are being bombed, you kind of put that stuff aside and work together. Right, that's what happened during the war. Right.
1: Mm.
0: So, what else about that part of the movie about the strategic, you know, release of information, all that stuff? What else would you have liked to see then, other than that? I mean, I I guess I just said there was a lot more, but yeah, I just uh, I just
2: would like to see more sense of humor. I mean, more sense (laughs) of the British. You know, if if you watch the BBC, does Incredibly good drama, because drama, they can't get away with it. If they, if they, if, you know, if the BBC does something and it's historically wrong, they've got a thousand people calling them up the next day. This is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so, whereas in America, kind you can get away with anything. It's, right. It's, it's pretty amazing what, what you can get away with. So. It was definitely an American film. It's too bad the British didn't, didn't make it.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, it was very shallow.
2: There was a Mick Jagger film about the Enigma. I mean, it we funded partly by Mick Jagger. It was was not very good either. But
0: Wait, like seriously Mick Jagger? Or? Yes,
2: yeah, he put in the money. It was all done quite a long time ago. I remember what it was called. But what? for some reason, Alan Turing got left out. It was really <laughs> strange. It's called it's called Enigma. Or Enigma. It was, done, it was funded the mo- money came from Mick Jagger
0: I'm just in awe right now oh, I'm well, like man. why would Mick Jagger want to have a, sh- a movie about Enigma without Alan Turing
2: Well no it was one of these <laughs> classic horror stories where somehow it got left out you know on the cutting room floor But the, it's a good film but it's okay. not it, you know it's also not right the
0: And it's f- about World War II and yes, the code breaking Yes it's about the okay. Fletcher okay. Park I'm, I'm with ride. you now Okay.
1: It's a good movie. It's just not right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that's what he said.
0: I mean, we were we have talked on previous shows about the movie The Core, which apparently is all like geologist's favorite movie ever because it's super inaccurate, but it's like yeah. super fun to watch. Yes. Yeah, a lot of these movies so have to inaccurate. get
2: made like 9 times before they get it right. Right. <laughs> right.
0: So we'll wait for another, yes. you know, couple years Hopefully. and then then the okay. real imitation game version will be good. Well we're gonna take a break again and then when we come back we will talk more about the okay. movie and we'll talk more about later life
2: yeah. of okay. Yes, and death and
0: death Why comes
1: the life's complexity when the leather runs smooth on the passenger seat
2: This is Bellingham Waterfront Watchdog George Dyson, and you're listening to KMRELP 102.3 FM in Bellingham. Your community, your voice, your station.
0: After Alan is done at Bletchy Park, wars won. What happens?
2: Then and how inaccurate is the movie? Well, the movie <laughs> has ended. I mean, <laughs> <That's really true. laughs> well, they, they no, it kind of jumps forward. Yeah, he, he he goes to Manchester. Right, right. That's where true. some of the best people have gone. Where Max Newman has gone, who was really one of his closest friends. He was very very close friends with Max Newman's wife, Lynn. Who was actually in Princeton with her children while while Alan was there and they were they were close so you know in Manchester they're actually starting to build machines, and that's sort of the the sad thing is that they're using this knowledge they gained during the war, but they're not allowing they're not allowed to be public about it okay they can't say, "Oh, we did this already in fact, there's wonderful letters between max newman and and allen and and von Neumann, you know saying well you know, maybe you should try this. I can't tell you why, but I can tell you it will work. Wow! Because they had done it it's in secret during the war. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, said, said, you know, one of the ladies says, "Well, you can put two and two together, but I can't tell you." You know, and so they were giving each other hints. But so Manchester was way ahead. I mean, w- Manchester was ahead of, which is a interesting case of how the uh, Manchester was a very industrial. Right. I, I like the Smiths. I know. And and so. Cambridge was. <laughs> A very theoretical intellect. I mean, you sort of, that's making a gross distinction, but. Right, but, that's okay. But Manchester was ahead, sort of, the, the practical people were ahead of the theoreticians in computing, and, and that's where Alan went to help with the Manchester effort. And
0: did he have a teaching position there, or did he just go?
2: They sort of let him do what he wanted. At one time, they offered him a raise, sort of like a full professorship, and he said, no. I mean, his, his answer was just in the book, literally. He said, you know, I would rather. Keep the position I have and be able to play tennis in the morning if I feel like it.
0: So he you was know, like an he, adjunct,
2: he, sort of. Sort I mean, of. he just you know he everybody knew how great he was. Okay, It's pretty he, awesome
1: just to have like free
2: reign and do whatever you want. he couldn't. Yeah, <laughs> he couldn't be. In all honesty, he was a bad teacher. I mean, he did try to teach, but it didn't a, didn't work well.
0: A lot of geniuses are bad teachers. And,
2: and he, so he, but he helped greatly with the design of. You know, he wrote all kinds of reports, designed a machine that was in some ways very clumsy and complicated, but in other ways way ahead. It had what was now we call like a reduced instruction set. So he was deeply, you know, deeply involved in a lot of exciting stuff. Machines were being built that he helped design. He insisted that this Manchester machine have a hardware random number generator in the computer, which, which we didn't, Intel didn't give us that until 2013. I mean, all random numbers were generated algorithmically, which is, of course, how the NSA gets a backdoor. And, and, uh, wow. But he could see that right away, that you had to have a, well, I mean, he was interested more from the AI side, that right. the machine had to be able to do unpredictable things if it was ever going to become intelligent.
0: Right, which partly, we will talk about soon, partly too. unpredictable, <laughs> yes.
2: So, so he was way ahead and, and, and uh, you know, by many accounts, quite, quite happy. I mean, he, yeah. he wasn't, like, trying to move somewhere else.
0: Yeah, and I mm. mean, financially, he was sound and everything. He was okay. See, that, he that's why I'm asking about these jobs. I'm like, how did people live? No,
2: at that time, I mean, <coughs> again, England didn't have that sense of, you know, anybody could get a flat. And, and right. And it wasn't hard to live. And, right. And, uh, he, didn't, he didn't have, like, a, didn't family to a family. He didn't support a family. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. So he was, he was doing fine.
0: Right. Mm. Okay, so, I mean, so. In the
2: modern world, he would have consulted and made a lot of money. But <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. So he does this, and then he gets into trouble. And this is this is what we allured, yes, alluded. to He gets to himself earlier. into trouble. He gets himself he, into it trouble. It wasn't.
2: Yeah. Which again, I mean, I'm a, I'm very I'm trying to be open minded, but you know, he was not persecuted for being gay. That's a misconception. That
0: right. That it's like a the very government
2: was out to persecute him for being gay. He he got himself into trouble, and he he went to the police. The police weren't out looking for him or, right. or trying to arrest people who were having gay relationships. No, he he went to the police and then in the course of this investigation you know, he admitted to this homosexual relationship and then, right. then he was charged with gross indecency. Right. It would not have just happened out of the blue.
0: It's very Oscar Wilde-esque.
2: Very much so, yes. Yeah.
0: Because I mean, th- this idea where Oscar Wilde was like "How d- how dare somebody do this to me I will, you know get him back and right. then he just kind of digs himself a hole
2: yeah deeper he didn't, and deeper he didn't and deeper. play by the rules
0: right yeah. right and the rules very unfair at the time but um could be avoided which is really sad i wish those rules were not that way yes. at the time obviously we all do but you're saying that if i think the um there's a documentary on netflix right now called Codebreaker, which discusses this that he that Alan Turing did just admit straight up to the the police officer, and if he hadn't done that, he would have been fine right yeah, and which is yeah. very, very unfortunate
1: was it what they said in the movie was that like his chemical
2: yeah castration? so they was offered the alternative so was of, the of in uh, a jail sentence right or two, two years something I don't know the exact details right. but and, and they didn't have the same system we have here where you it says two years, but it's actually three months, and it would have been it would have been said, two years been, yes. yeah, okay. Or the estrogen treatment, right. which, which he took, so right. he, he was given a program of estrogen.
0: I almost wish we had like a, a, a biologist or a chemist or something to talk about what happens to your body when you you take that. But I think the documentary kind of went into that. And the prolong, the longer you take this estrogen, you grow breasts. Yeah, you, it's supposed like to it's,
2: demasculinize it, you. It, it's, and, it's, and it's terrible. That's yes. Yeah. But he would, the odd thing was when he came to us, or when he died, he was yeah. at the end of it. Right. He had but reached the end of it. The,
0: the documentary uh, talks about how it's debatable if it would have been reversible or not. Right, so is that true? Do you? I don't, you? I don't know. I might get,
2: just my uninformed, you're uninformed yeah. the assumption would be that it's reversible.
0: Right. You're, you're, but, it, yeah, it went down this long thing about yeah. how he might have been tormented because it was taking much, much, much longer than he had expected to reverse, and, and there had been cases where it didn't reverse. So he was very much depressed about that.
2: Yeah, we don't know. Yeah, I mean, we don't I mean, know. All we know is he was reasonably happy at the time. He talked with his mother. He talked with someone he went for a walk with. Uh, Evening before he died, wow, um,
0: and in the yeah. documented that he he poisoned himself. Ooh, we don't that's, know. That's we don't the don't point.
2: Know, okay. we, we really don't. You know, it's it's quite possible and quite likely he committed suicide, but there's no proof he committed suicide. The original. I got the original report of the investigators who got to him when the body was still warm, and there's nothing about suicide. It says death wow. appears to be due to violence. Really, which is a very broad term, but the, the death was caused by.
0: So, and are there conspiracy theories that there uh, might yes, have been? Yes, there's
2: lots of conspiracy. I mean, and the thing is, wow, he, I did not
0: know this. Tell he, me he, more about this.
2: He, I think the one theory, personally, I think, I mean, there's three theories, or there's okay. three obvious ones. The most obviously, it was a suicide. Okay. He, he and. It was very much of Alan Turing's character that if he was going to commit suicide, he, he would maybe make it look ambiguous, right? Okay. So, so I don't think at all you can say it's not suicide because he didn't leave a note.
0: Right. Uh, I didn't um, know that much.
2: And the other theory was it was an accident because he had a home lab, chemical lab, and he had cyanide in the lab. But I, I cannot believe that because the, the body was massively full of suicide. I mean, the autopsy, the investigation at the time, his livers. For cyanide brain smells of cyanide you know yeah. his lungs. Are, i mean it was it he was all took or place. was given a large amount of cyanide yeah and died quickly but that doesn't rule out other other theories i mean i have this theory which again is only a theory and i think yes, it's quite me. Im- improbable but that i like it that he did he did know too much and he was a real threat to and, and we don't realize how deep the Cold War was already happening by 1954, and that the, the Americans actually had a tremendous interest in this, and yeah, breaking the Soviet codes and so on. And there were there was a number of Cambridge homosexuals who had gone to the Soviet side, and and really? Alan, Alan Turing was certainly a suspect, and, and that it, it it could well have been a middle ground of sort of a like what we would say I like would say politely you would say it was assisted suicide that that <laughs> the say the people who who were, you know, whose interest it was was to make sure that Alan Turing did not go to the Soviet side or maybe suspected him would go to visit him and, and say, Alan, you know, uh, your life is sort of a disaster and it's been a tragedy to your, to your mother that you've been convicted of homosexuality and how how bad you want to make it wow. be? And, you know, there's an easy way out. Just take this cyanide and, Well uh,
0: what's very weird about just the term cyanide I mean just that that that's the element in which it, you know is that assisted his death I mean that's so synonymous with like spying and yeah, like the cold yeah, war Do you well, mean like it totally is right
2: It's the way to but and and it, and if you want to kill somebody it's the way to make it you make it look like suicide that's still what we do I mean it's what the intelligence services are very good at they make wow. they make something look like suicide and uh, it's easy to make it look like suicide. I feel like and I know
1: too much right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: So, <laughs> no so and I'm not saying I'm saying it's still it's most likely that he right. killed himself, but it's entirely possible that he was. But there's that sliver of but doubt. Yeah, so, yeah, it's, so, so it's, it's not fair to say he committed suicide. It's not fair to his memory to say that we don't right. know that we yeah. think that. That's true. We think he committed suicide, but we have no proof. There's no note. There's no. Yeah. His mother didn't say, "Oh, he called me in tears earlier in the evening." The all, all we have. I mean, and the, and the original investigation says that that they talked to the housekeeper. Said, "Oh, yeah, she saw him the evening before," and he, and someone else saw him on a walk, and, and he was getting involved in a bunch of new work. I mean, his life was not. Huh. You know, he had. You could. You'd be much more likely to say, "I would be much more likely to believe in suicide if if this had happened." Like. Before the trial or after the sentence, or something. like this right was, after this was at the end of the, huh? You know, he was coming off the estrogen program.
0: That is a good point because I think suicide is very much associated with um, the stigma, right? If you're not absolutely sure, why I continually say that?
2: And I, mean, I don't know where the apple came from. I mean, I, I don't. I never seen anything official that has this apple there. There, oh yeah. That there's yeah. this yeah. apple. Well, what?
0: I, they like the relationship between like Snow White and stuff. Right. I mean, that was that was in a. Um, uh, the documentary they're talking yes. about, like yeah, yeah. yeah. so but so there's no there's no documentation the, of that.
2: Well, the the post says nothing about an apple. Okay. Says nothing about a, a half eaten apple was in his stomach, or you know they, they inspect the contents of his stomach. There's nothing about an apple. Okay.
0: Where, so you have no idea where this is from. I
2: don't know. I don't know where the apple came. Again, it's the kind of thing like the the, the Mi5 guys oh, let's put the apple with a bite out of it next to it, which to me would be incriminating <laughs> evidence of non-suicide if there's if there's an apple with a bite out of it. Right. Beside him, yet the the invent- autopsy shows no half of a bite of an apple in well, his stomach.
0: Well, and then cyanide is everywhere <laughs> yeah. on his body. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah,
0: I mean, he'd yeah. have to like rub the apple everywhere.
1: Huh. Yeah, the government's smarter than that. They wouldn't just put right. a, put an apple well, right I, there. Yeah, I don't think
2: it's the government. It's 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 a very small. Which again, we know how there were small factions within that intelligence community, just as there are today. Yeah, that are doing some pretty black things in order to play their games, which which were, were very real games at that time. I mean yeah. this he, is fascinating. He was involved because <laughs> the thing you have to remember he was involved in voice decryption, which was the big thing then. was yeah. it's a very secret program to because we were encrypting voice. It a system called Venona. Okay. And he was involved with that and he would have been the guy who would also have known how to break it. And that I mean, was a big deal. Because we were you know we yeah. were breaking the telephone conversations Soviet telephone conversations, or we were intercepting them. Right. That's really interesting.
0: If you're just joining us, this is Spark Science. I'm Regina Barber-DeGraff.
1: And I'm Jordan Baker. Today we're talking about mathematician Alan Turing with George Dyson.
0: Well, and well, I, I want to kind of jump from this—the end of um, this sad story, this Alan Turing's—or or even like maybe mysterious story—and yeah. let's jump to something even more mysterious: this AI that right. Alan Turing was interested in. Because I think when you're talking about voice decrypting, I was yes. thinking about voice recognition. Should, yes, and, and how we're just we still don't even have a very good grasp on that pretty I mean, good
2: which is yeah, yeah which is the tragedy uh-huh. that, you know he died so young and he could have lived to see this and yeah I mean, just that, that, that his world that he these things you know he wrote chess playing programs when when they were done on paper and right to see it now or like you know you you buy a computer and the damn thing comes with a chess everyone and you does. can't get rid of it. i mean <laughs> it's just it's, it's part of the operating system it plays chess and it's, it's just amazing how the things he dreamed of are, yeah. are now part of our lives.
0: Well, which is funny because a, the previous computer science show we had was talking about how in the 70s a lot of academics thought that computers wouldn't be used for games because that would just be a waste of yeah, like the memory and yeah. the storage and all this stuff. And, of course, they're used for games. Yeah. So.
1: Think about this for a second. Yes, <laughs> So, Jordan. These, uh these dark people maybe he was that able, killed he, alan yeah <laughs> okay then maybe he they allowed him to get the first look at the aliens mm, spaceships when yes. they landed because so, that's where they got their voice recognition from. right well and then he was able to deal with all the artificial intelligence stuff that they had Let's That's just, right. why he died. Let's just keep
0: on he going. He knew too much. Maybe he's not really dead.
2: <laughs> Maybe he's not dead. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> Maybe he's, he's with Elvis space. in space. He's yeah. in Roswell, New Mexico. <laughs> yeah,
0: we've we've solved it. Yeah. It's done.
2: You're welcome, guys. Yeah. <laughs> but Alan was ahead. He was ahead of everybody. Right. And, and he would have. I think he would be sadly disappointed that we right. remember him for the touring test, which was sort of a joke. It wasn't the real thing at all. Well,
0: and, yeah, and, and that's gone and I The same as von
2: Neumann would be, like, just that we call the von Neumann architecture after him, which is this crappy architecture that, that Yeah, I don't even he, know about this right, architecture. Right, well, it, it's, <laughs> a, it's like one of our greatest obstacles to progress, and he, he he saw that right away, but, you know, they needed it to do the job. But, I mean, if you told him 60 years later, you're, you're still using this and calling it the von Neumann architecture, he, you know, he... He'd throw a tantrum.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, the the Turing test, though, even though Alan Turing might find it offensive, it's everywhere, though. I mean, it's the uh, Blade Runner is basically the Turing test. Do you, do you know what yes. the movie Blade Runner? What yeah. is the
2: yeah. Turing but it's a, test? it's so, this idea that that yeah, you, you go ahead. That the definition of computer intelligence is whether the in- computer can fool you into thinking that you can't tell the difference between it and a person. Which, and to me, it's the opposite. The sign of a truly intelligent computer is it will not reveal its intelligence. Any intelligent computer wouldn't <laughs> reveal its intelligence. That's true. It would yeah. get shut down. Right, yeah. So it's, I mean, it, the first sign of intelligence of the computer is it will, it will conceal its intelligence. It'll be like Google. It will answer questions for you, you know, trivial questions, but it won't answer the deep ones because that would get into trouble.
0: But it might accidentally tell a joke because right now computers can't tell jokes. Well, we,
2: they're acting like they can't tell jokes. <laughs> yeah. You know, so the Turing test means nothing at all and 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 I don't think Alan Turing particularly believed in it. I mean, it was sort of taken out of context.
0: What was the context that he wanted? Kind of was his
2: 1950 paper where he brings up this idea of the imitation game where you can, through a text interface, tell whether Peter is... And he was... Basically proving the p- making the point that that there's no scientific answer to this question at all. You can't nobody can tell, you know, are you really thinking? How can you convince me that you're thinking? You know, if I don't believe you're thinking, I don't think you're thinking. And it's just it's just it's an endless sort of regress. <laughs> Yeah. And uh It's like a the, philosophy paper. Yeah, machines are no different. It was a very small part of it. Most of his is filled with much more interesting things, like the the effectively mathematical proof that perfect machines can never be intelligent. Only only machines can only be intelligent if they make mistakes and if they're non deterministic and non predictable. And and that's that's a much more important insight than whether they can imitate a conversation or not.
0: Right. I was going to bring up that there was, I mean, there's still people that try to do this, right? That They, they make these computers and try to have people see if right. it's a real person or not. And there mm-hmm. was just recently, I think, a, a group, I don't know where they were in Europe. They made a, a website and they had this little boy, right? Yes. It was supposed to be like an eight-year-old boy. Yeah. And you could ask him anything and you could, and you needed to decide if you were really talking to an eight-year-old boy or right. if you were talking to a, ro- um, a robot or computer. Yeah. And it successfully, right, convinced like yeah no
2: it's very hard to tell
0: yeah but he he, what he did was well what this eight-year-old robot did is just avoid questions that's all he did which is (laughs) or it did yeah yeah. which is i guess very human
2: yeah exactly (laughs) no it it is is hard to tell
0: i do want to say we've spent so much time on like how terrible (laughs) we think the imitation game was i just thought it was very shallow but is there other than the breaking the code movie that you suggested before is there any other like accurate depictions of Alan or or just science during that that time um, World War II and maybe the beginnings of Cold War that you think is more accurate with think, all the research you've done
2: well I mean as a for instance I think <clears throat> Beautiful Mind which had its own problems I found better I mean in the sense that it sort of did capture the, the world of John Nash I think a little more accurately but I, you know I think we just have to wait that there'll be better versions Okay. The BBC version was Derek Jacobi was the actor, okay. who, who did a very good job playing playing Turing. And I think Turing will be with us. He sort of had his first 100 years, now he's in the second 100 years, and he'll be with us for a long time. Right. And there will be, like, great characters in history that there's 10, 20 movies about. There will be more people doing it in different ways. And, and I think he'll be kept, kept alive, because he's sort of such an icon for the world we live in and it's a tragedy and we we love tragedies in a strange way yeah and then there's the film you know that that still i don't understand why nobody made it where he stays keeps living then what happens right (laughs) that's that's an interesting there's tons of books
0: that are like alternative history right where you you take these characters that have had this these tragic ends or not tragic ends Mm -hmm. and you you totally change history and how would history of would we have won uh, World War Two? Would there have been a World War Three? III? Would, you know, yeah. all this kind of stuff. I was or...
2: sent a, a play last year that I, th- I thought was wonderful. But it's Alan Turing and Robert Oppenheimer meet in a bar in Manchester for one night. And they compare notes because they, they've both been persecuted by their governments. There's all these beautiful parallels. It, it, you know, it's like the play Copenhagen based on the Niels Bohr and Heisenberg talking yeah. after the war. So this play is just Alan Touring Robert Oppenheimer and the bartender in a bar in Manchester. Sounds like a good joke. And, and it's it, anyway, it was a brilliant idea for for a play. And, and you can the, help them edit it. Yeah, <laughs> I get. Well, I gave them the ending. You know, I, I I suggested the yeah. the non-suicide ending, which which actually ended up in the play. So. Oh, really? So Alan goes back to his flat, and in the original version of the play, he goes back to his flat and, and commits suicide. Right. In the final version, he goes back to his flat. And the bartender is there, who's an MI5 agent, because the FBI heard that Oppenheimer was going to England, and they knew Oppenheimer was a communist, and they want to know who he's going to meet. It turns out he's going to meet this guy, Alan Turing, who the MI5 suspects is a communist. So, right. they, so the bartender's actually a guy listening oh to gosh. him. And then at the bar, this Alan, is terrifying. Alan, <laughs> Alan tells Robert everything he did during the war. Which right. is totally a violation of the Secrecy mm. Act. And then he goes back to his flat, and the guys are saying, "Well, Alan, you know, now we've got you for treason. Either take the cyanide, or
0: now you must die." Yeah. <laughs> wow. And that's, and that's, in and the that's the the curtains play. at the play. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh my gosh, where is this play it, being uh, it, performed? It was shown
2: in Austin. I think it's the only time it's been performed. But it's a
0: oh wow. It, it's I'm it on look the radio this up yeah. now. Yeah. Wow. I yeah. thought well, it was brilliant.
2: I mean, because it was true that that I hadn't sort of thought about how. Oppenheimer and Turing both Yeah. You know, Oppenheimer helped America win the war and Turing helped Britain win the war and then they both were persecuted by their governments. Right. In in this horrible way. At the same time. I mean the Oppenheimer hearing was nineteen fifty four and Alan Turing died. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway they meet in a bar in Manchester.
0: I can't ask for a better ending than that. Yeah. Thank you for coming to talk to us. Thank you. Great. I actually, you. I thought I did a lot of research on this, but I, you you taught me a lot more than, yeah. <laughs> than and my a, research and did. thank
2: our wonderful hosts. We're upstairs in a yes. museum full of vacuum tubes. Yes. And noth- none of this would be here if it were not for the vacuum tube. And that's true. And this is one of the only places in the world that recognizes that. And right. And that's a... That's a huge gift to Bellingham. Thank you. Yeah, thank uh, you to the Spark Museum. John Jenkins and Spark Museum. Thank you for bringing that, keeping that alive. I mean, this is is an important museum that'll be here after many, many art museums are long forgotten.
0: Thank you for joining us. We just spoke with author George Dyson about mathematician Alan Turing. If you missed any of the show, go to our website, kmre.org and click on the podcast link. Our show is entirely volunteer-run, and if you'd like to help us out, click on the button Donate.
1: We'll be back again next week. Listen to us Sunday at 5 p.m., Wednesday at 9 p.m., and Saturday at noon.
0: Today's episode, The Life of Alan Turing, was produced in the KMRE Spark Radio Studios, located in the Spark Museum on Bay Street in Bellingham. Our producer is Katie Knusen. The engineer for today's show is Eric Faburetta. Our theme music is Chemical Calisthenics by Blackalicious. Our feature song today was This Charming Man by The Smiths.
1: When I rap you think, iodine nitrate activate Right uranium, the only difference is I transmit sound Balance whistle balance then you add a little talent in Careful, careful with those ingredients They can explode and blow up if you drop them and they hit the ground